0: Chapter 22 of 40,000 Miles Over Land and Water. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. 40,000 Miles Over Land and Water by Ethel Gwendolyn Vincent. Chapter 11 Australia. New South Wales and Queensland, part two. At Blackheath, we got out of the train and found a brake waiting to take us the two miles to Govert's Leap. We drove along a sandy road, looking at the masses of wild flowers that bordered it or grew in the underscrub. We noticed particularly among them the wild lobelia and the blue iris and the Australian idolvice, which they call the flannel plant and which has a varying number of petals, from seven to fourteen. But above all, there was the beautiful waratah, that wiry flower, glorious in its deep crimson colour, and resembling an artichoke dipped into cochineal, as one of our party remarked. As we were looking and talking about the flowers, quite unexpectedly, and with a sudden alarm, we found ourselves on the edge of the precipice of what is called Govet's Leap, Twelve hundred feet below us there was a plain, shut in on all sides by titanic walls of granite rock. I call it a plain, for it seemed so by comparison to where it narrowed imperceptibly to the gorge, only wide enough for a narrow river to flow through, and which lost itself to us under the blue haze of the distance. This plain was covered with sassafras, or spinifex, a stunted undergrowth amongst which peaked up the bare heads of rocks, and all around and beyond them was only the grey-blue undulations of a sea of gums. Just to our right there was the black shiny cliff, over which trickles the falling mist of the waterfall, called Govet's Leap. It is dignified, you perceive, into a waterfall, but here droughts are so frequent, and water so scarce, that drops trickling over a rock must be so called, or none would remain in existence. The waterfall is not called Govert's Leap, as many would suppose after some legendary convict's leap escaping from the pursuit of his jailers, but after the name of the first surveyor of the Blue Mountains. The great beauty of the scenery in these mountains lies in the grand expanse of the valleys that open out sheer at your feet, under precipices of from 300 to 500 feet, and in the curious formation of rock that generally surrounds them, "'standing out into their midst in jagged masses or formations "'that take the shape of something human. "'Certainly there are these grand and glorious views in the Blue Mountains, "'these vast panoramas as at Govet's Leap or at the weatherboard, "'but taking them as a whole, "'I think their monotonous beauty is somewhat exaggerated "'by the fact that Australia is so poor in beautiful scenery.' Going through Mount Victoria Pass, we came to Mount Victoria, which has a fine hotel and is over 3,000 feet above the sea level. It is generally taken as the headquarters from whence tourists can explore the mountains. Then we reached the second, or the Great Zigzag, the marvel of the engineering feats. At one point we looked down and saw below us three distinct lines of railway and these had only been made after tunnelling and blasting the rock away, sometimes to a depth of 40 or 50 feet. But I think it looked still more wonderful when we looked up to it from the bottom and wondered how we should ever reach the top again. The cost of this part of the railway was between £20,000 and £25,000 a mile. Lithgow formed our terminus, and we had lunch in a siding, and some of the party went to see the pottery works opposite, and returned with bricks which they had seen baked in the oven, and tiles, and little brown earthenware teapots, valued at seven and a half pence. These pottery works were started almost accidentally by the Lithgow Valley Colliery Company, who began by baking bricks for a chimney to their furnace, in connection with their large coal mining operations, and finding clay suitable for pottery purposes in the neighbourhood, they continued. Nearly the whole of the pretty Lithgow Valley is spoilt by being used for manufacturing purposes, coal being found in large quantities and worked by several companies. We ran back quickly, though the return journey seemed much longer. At Mount Victoria we experienced a curiously sudden change in the atmosphere. A little damp mist rising from the valleys spread so quickly "'that the warm, bright afternoon was suddenly clouded over "'and changed to drizzling rain and a chill, clinging mist. "'We had fortunately seen the views in the morning, "'in brightness and sunshine, "'for now in the afternoon they were totally obliterated. "'We heard afterwards that we narrowly avoided a collision "'with another passenger train at Parramatta when returning, "'and we were saved by the presence of mind of our engineer, "'who ran us into the siding just in time.' We reached Sydney and were back at Government House by 8 p.m. Sunday, November the 23rd. We had luncheon in Maclay Street with the Chief Justice, Sir James and Lady Martin. Sir James has never been out of New South Wales, but he has read so extensively and to such purpose that he knows Europe almost better than any traveller and will tell you the exact position of any of the celebrated pictures in the galleries of Rome or Florence. Their house has a narrow garden, with a succession of beautifully planted stone terraces leading down to the edge of the harbour. We drove out afterwards to Rose Bay to see the Honourable James White's beautiful house. Mr. White is the owner of a celebrated stud, and had that morning taken sea out to the racecourse at Randwick to see his stables. The garden is very beautiful, and from it the harbour presents the appearance of two distinct lakes— caused by the jutting out of point piper mr william cooper's mr mitchell's and sir wigram Allen's are the finest houses at sydney after mr white's i think sydney is a far preferable place to melbourne to live in it has not the american go and tone of the latter nor the same amount of society but the place is so much prettier and the climate so bright that the blue waters of the harbour have often reminded us of the mediterranean Indeed, the mean temperature of Sydney is found to be exactly equal to that of Toulon. The government of Melbourne is termed the blue ribbon of the colonial service and has a salary attached to it of £10,000. But Sydney, with its salary of £7,000, should be, I think, the more popular of the two. Sir John Robertson has very kindly asked us whilst here to make an expedition up the Hawkesbury to stay with him but the steamer for Brisbane is leaving tomorrow. C was also very anxious to have made a trip from Sydney over to New Caledonia, but the 21 days of strictest quarantine imposed by the French government on all vessels arriving at Noruma from Sydney, on account of the smallpox here, has rendered it impossible. He has been fortunate, however, in meeting French officers who have given him all the necessary information and he has obtained many official papers concerning the French penal settlement. Tuesday, November the 25th We bade farewell to Lord and Lady Augustus Loftus in the afternoon and went down to the wharf, where lay the Laie Moon of the Australian Steam Navigation Company with the Blue Peter flying. Mr. Loftus, Mr. Unwin and Dr. Garron, the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, came to see us off, We went down the harbour, saying goodbye to Government House as we passed its windows, but seeing nothing, to our disappointment, of the race that was going on between boats, crews of HMS Miranda and the American Man of War. We passed out through the heads into the open sea, which had a heavy swell on, the remains of a southerly burster of the previous night. The Laie Moon is a dirty little steamer of 600 tonnes. She is fast, but rolls terribly. After it got dark and cold on deck, nothing remained but to go below and plunge, without asking questions, into the dusky recesses of the bunk in the cabin. Wednesday, November the 26th. On board S.S. Laie Moon, off the coast of Queensland, coasting all day along a country covered as far as the eye could see into the interior with gum trees. It gives one some idea of the density of the forests before the country is opened up. Sea smooth, but many ill. Cuisine disgusting, and passengers noisy and objectionable. I wrote letters for home all day. Thursday, November the 27th. The stewardess came into my cabin at seven o'clock to say that we had been at anchor for an hour or more in the River Brisbane, waiting for the doctor to come off and pass us. The ascent up the Brisbane for thirty miles took us nearly two hours. The river is so deep and broad that large vessels are able to come up to Brisbane and anchor at the wharves. The banks are low and pretty, but little we saw of their beauty that morning for the dense mist caused by the downpour of rain. Mr Pritchard, the Governor's aide-de-camp, was waiting for us on the wharf with the carriage, and we drove past the government buildings, which are very fine, and the clubhouse, with its broad verandas, to Government House. Here Sir Anthony and Lady Musgrave received us most kindly. Government House is a low, ugly stone building, with numberless verandas, into which the rooms open out. The servants' quarters are quite separate in a bungalow apart from the house. The house lies on a peninsula, surrounded on three sides by the river, and the road which leads past the houses ends at Government House as a cul-de-sac. The deluge of rain lasted all the afternoon, but cleared up enough in the evening for Lady Musgrave and her three boys to take me into the adjoining botanical gardens. The climate at Brisbane is nearly tropical, and these gardens are proportionately more luxuriant than those of either Melbourne or Sydney. There is a beautiful avenue of bunya trees bordering the walk by the river. On the pond in the centre grow the most lovely blue and pink water lilies. The latter is the sacred lotus of the Egyptians, a plant that, besides Australia, only inhabits China, Japan, Persia, the Malay Peninsula and the Philippine Islands. The lawns feel short and springing to the tread from the crisp buffalo grass. There is a grove of tall bamboo trees interspersed with palms, the breadfruit tree or the traveller's tree, a species of palm which gives water when tapped by the traveller in the desert. On some of these grow the staghorn ferns, so called because it is a fern which branches out like the horns of a stag. There are thickets of mimosa, the common sensitive plant whose leaves curl up at the touch, interspersed with the candle nut tree the castor oil plant, Moreton Bay figs or wattle trees, and every one of the 54 species of eucalypti or blue gum that flourish in Queensland. In the borders grow ohias and hibiscus, white or red, single or double, syringia, baronia, crimson poinsettias, red-purple bougainvillea, jacarandia, like our purple wisteria, and daturas, with their pure white blossom growing amid a cluster of dark green leaves. There were all the commoner sorts of flowers, and hundreds of others of which I did not know, or could not, learn the names. The suite of rooms we have are connected by a succession of verandas, doors and windows open to the ground, giving in the evening a terrible invitation to the mosquitoes to enter, of which they avail themselves freely, humming and buzzing round in a maddening dance. Fortunately, we are too early for the sand-flies, a tiny insect which hops like a flea and whose bite is very vicious and painful. They have been known to worry a horse almost to death. The frogs, with their sometimes deafening chirping, are heard in the early morning or after sundown, the same as we used to hear the locusts at Sydney. The hoarse laugh of the jackass often rings out on the night air friday november the twenty eighth lady musgrave took me to the museum in the morning where they have a good collection of native birds following the example of hot climates for the heat in brisbane is intense though we are early enough to escape the worst which is between this month and april we stayed quiet during the afternoon and went out driving in the evening we drove through the town and principal streets of george and queen streets to the acclimatisation gardens, reserved solely for that purpose and being so far removed from the town that they are little used. Thence to the girls' high school and the grammar school, and afterwards coming down one of the fine terraces or roads overlooking the town, we drove out to Kangaroo Point. Then I was able to master and understand the difficult geography of Brisbane, caused by the windings in the river, which puzzle you as to which side of it you are on. The river winds round the town so that in any one street you can see it at the top and again at the bottom. Brisbane is a thoroughly uninteresting and ugly town. See met the Premier, Mr Griffiths, Sir Arthur Palmer, Speaker of the Legislative Council, Sir Thomas McElraith, and Mr Moorhead, leaders of the opposition, yesterday. Saturday, November the 29th, We did some shopping in the town in the morning for the voyage, buying deck chairs and table, etc., and a box to send home to England. C. had a long talk with the Premier, detailing his Massachusetts probation scheme for the probation of prisoners who have been convicted of a first offence only. An article written by him on the subject has just appeared in the Melbourne Victorian Review and the three other colonies that we have visited, new zealand victoria and new south wales are about to adopt it as being very economical and advantageous in preventing the manufacture of habitual criminals lady musgrave held her weekly afternoon reception on all sides we are hearing such terrible accounts of the drought which has ruined and is still ruining many owners of sheep runs in queensland in some places it is two years since a single drop of rain has fallen No water can be obtained for drinking purposes without sending many miles for it, and even in that case a serious difficulty presents itself, for the horses are dying or dead from want of food. The ground is described as being like a vast bed of sand or gravel, without grass or green thing left growing on it. One lady told me this afternoon that a relative of hers had just gone up-country and wrote to say that they had no water to wash with for four days scarcely any to drink, and that at last she had washed her baby in soda water. Sheep can be seen who have staggered to some creek where water had formerly been running and sinking into the mud perished, too weak to draw themselves out. Others, again, coming down, would get piled dead on the top, forming a ghastly heap. It is computed that between two and three millions of sheep have perished during this drought, and as many as twenty thousand on a single run. The rainfall here is very partial, and that which falls on the seaboard often does not penetrate up country. Advent Sunday at Brisbane, November the thirtieth. In the midst of this torrid heat, the advent of Christmas comes unseasonably round. We had a hot and dull morning service in the church half a mile away. During the afternoon I was reading Anthony Trollope's Australia and New Zealand. What a terribly narrow and one-sided view he took of things. A thunderstorm came in the evening to clear the oppressive atmosphere, and we sat out under the veranda after dinner and watched the lights twinkling among the houses and on the wharf opposite, with the phosphorescent sheet lightning sweeping the sky. It seems well nigh impossible to realise the murky skies and cold gloom Of the november of home and advent sunday has come as an awakening of this fact see had luncheon with his cousin mr gilbert primrose at his pretty little place outside the town monday december the first still very hot and oppressive sir anthony took me for a drive in the evening in a phaeton with pretty cream-coloured ponies out along the ipswich road There were some ranges of hills in the distance, and it was a pretty drive, but a typical Australian look was given to much of the surrounding country by the scrub of dwarfed gums and by the wooden houses perched on piles, partly for ventilation and dryness, but more to facilitate an easy search after the white ant, the serious drawback to these wooden tenements. Queensland is still in the period of much zinc roofing, There was a large dinner party of pleasant people in the evening, after which we had to pack for two hours to be ready for the morrow's start. Queensland is the youngest of the Australian colonies, and so great is its extent that it is the same size as England, Scotland, Ireland, France, Belgium and Denmark would be if added together. It is bisected by the Tropic of Capricorn, which runs nearly through the centre the south is devoted as in the other colonies to pastoral interests on the darling and peak downs the sheep runs are fenced in and luxuries even are found in the houses but on the thompson and the herbert the warrigo and the Barcoo, the flocks roam at pleasure and boundary riders or men who once or twice in the week ride round the outside of the run are still in use There is much talk at present going on about the division of Queensland as the North complains that the seat of government at Brisbane is too far distant and that their interests are not identical with those of the South. This is so far true on account of the tropical climate of the North, which is only suitable for the growth of sugar, cotton, pineapple, banana or guava plantations. Agitation is also at present being made for the abolition of island labour without which it is impossible for the plantations of the north to be worked, as no European can long stand the tropical heat of the midday sun. The cry of the south is, Queensland for the white man, and many think that this crucial point will lead to the separation of the north. The Queensland government is the only one in Australasia which is at present actively engaged in peopling the vast unoccupied regions of the continent, it has agents in England, and partly under a system of nomination by those already in the colony, partly by the selection of their officers, about four hundred emigrants are sent out from England gratuitously every fortnight under contract with the British India Steam Navigation Company. Mechanics of sober, industrious habits find their wages augmented in their new homes by three hundred, four hundred, and even five hundred per cent single women find good situations almost before the vessel is moored alongside the wharf at brisbane even a maid of all work if she can cook receives out here nearly a pound a week for wages there is no opening for town loafers or clerks but ordinary labourers are frequently in demand and government does what it can to find them employment and keeps them for a time at the depots before leaving australia though politics are not within my province i must say that throughout australasia there is a strong feeling among all classes for a closer union with the mother country the loyalty of the people to the crown and the empire is unbounded but australia finds herself strong and should any coldness be displayed by the home government a cry for separation may soon be raised and we should never forget that as a field for British trade, as an outlet for our surplus population, and as producers of our food, our colonies are to us indispensable. It is with regret that we are obliged to leave Australia without seeing something of the squatter's life in the back country, but the long sea voyage before us renders it impossible for us to wait four weeks for the next mail. If we had gone up country, I fancy previous ideas of the roughing it and hardships of bush life with its traditional damper and eternal haunch of mutton would have disappeared before the luxury and comfort which in all but the very recently settled districts now prevail my husband has however been fortunate enough to meet most of the politicians and leading public men for at melbourne sydney and brisbane the parliaments have been in session and this after all is the main object of our visit to the colonies I have before given our reasons for not attempting to visit South Australia, and the crown colony of Western Australia, with its capital of Perth and still barren settlements, one would hardly go to except under compulsion. The few emigrants who arrive there rarely remain, and 25,000 numbers the entire population of Western Australia. Although its territory is enormous, it consists chiefly of a sandy waste and a Yankee who landed there is said to have made the observation that it was the best country he ever saw to run through an hourglass. To my great sorrow, we are abandoning our original intention of visiting China and Japan. The war with France would make the former difficult, and the season of the year would be unfavourable for the latter. These are not, however, the chief reasons, so much as of half-formed scheme we are revolving in our minds to come home by the Cape and South Africa. We have given ourselves till next May for travelling, and it would not be possible to accomplish China, Japan, as well as British India, Netherlands India, the Straits' settlements, and the Cape. Even as it is, the latter may fall through from want of time, or the absence of good steamer connection between Bombay and Natal. But we hope for the best as we take leave of Australasia and set sail for Hindustan. End of section 22